So let's talk a little bit about Pesach, which is, um, I think, a week from tonight. We'll be sitting. Tomorrow. Uh, a week from tonight, by B'dikas Chametz. And tomorrow night, the Seder in Ritzah Hashem. So some uh, couple of Pesach concepts. So of course, Pesach is the birth of Klal Yisrael. It's called the Yom Aleph. It's the Navi Yecheskel. It calls Yitzias Mitzrayim. The Leda, the birth of Klal Yisrael. So although perhaps we didn't become fully um, uh, responsible for mitzvahs until Matan Torah, which was uh, 49 or 50 days later, 51 days later, but the beginning of as, as a nation is when we left Mitzrayim. Some compare Matan Torah, um, Yitzias Mitzrayim to birth of Matan Torah to Bar Mitzvah, an escalated uh, Bar Mitzvah. But that's when we became Chayiv in the mitzvahs. Uh, Yisias Mitzrayim, as we know, is mentioned throughout our davening constantly. Everything is Zechel Yisias Mitzrayim. The Chinuch talks about it being the Yisoid, the foundation of everything. The foundation of everything. We remember Yisias Mitzrayim. Our Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim, um, out of a we were a slave nation and made us servants of Hashem. Avdei Hashem. We have a special mitzvah to remember Yisias Mitzrayim every day. Right? Laman Tizkeres Yom Tzeis Chamiyeres Mitzrayim Kol Yimei every day. And in the Haggadah, we talk about that the mitzvah is not only to remember Yitzhak Mitzrayim by days, but also by night. Right? So when we talk about remembering Yitzhak Mitzrayim on a simple level, first and foremost, it means remembering the exodus of Egypt. Remember that we were slaves and Hashem took us out of bondage. But, of course, it has many deeper meanings as well, where Yitzhak Mitzrayim becomes something that is a constant... Um, theme and motif in our Avodah Hashem and serving Hashem. Um, it says, as we say in Haggadah, every single day, a person should see himself every day leaving Mitzrayim. And what does that mean, to leave every day Mitzrayim? And there's different explanations given. Let's touch on maybe two. Um, one level is the word Mitzrayim, which is the name of a country called Egypt. The Hebrew word Mitzar means narrowness. Constraint, right? Like we say, Rosh Hashanah in the davening before we blow the shofar, min hametzar karasi We call out Hashem out of a narrow situation, narrow straits. Anani bamerchav, and Hashem answers, brings us to a state of of expansiveness, of broadness. So, what does it mean going out of that narrowness? And one of the explanations given is that the physical world. Is, is, a very, is a place of limitation. Everything about this world is limited, it's finite, um, versus, versus godliness and spirituality and holiness is infinite. Uh, when it comes to mitzvahs, they say, Rechava mitzvascha ma'oid. It says in Tehillim, the mitzvahs are connecting to something much greater. Kedusha is something much greater and much stronger than the world that we find ourselves in. And therefore, a yid has the ability every day to go out of Mitzrayim, which means to leave their physical, um, finite, limited being and connect to the infinite. And that's why where do we do the mitzvah of Yitzchir HaTzitzis Mitzrayim every day? At what point of our davening do we fulfill the mitzvah of Yitzchir HaTzitzis Mitzrayim? It's connect, connected to Kriyashma, right? The third section of Kriyashma is where we say Lamantisker is where we remember leaving Mitzrayim. Now, so we think of Kriyashma as a three-section part. But really, Kriyashma is two sections. Right? The Shema and the Vahoyim Shemoah. The third one, Vayomer, is for Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. So why did Chazal put them together? Why is there a connection? Why? We'll do the mitzvah of Kriyashma, and right after Kriyashma, back to back the mitzvah of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. Why is Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim connected with Kriyashma? But if we understand Yitzhiyas uh, Mitzrayim on a deeper level, the Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is the ability to go out of ourself, go out of our limitations and connect to the limit, to the infinite Hashem. That is a direct 
of continuation of Kriyasma. Because Kriyasma is Kabbalah, Sol, Machus, Shemayim. Kriyasma is the, the epicenter of davening. We accept Hashem's kingdom, the yoke of Hashem. We accept Avas Hashem and Yiras Hashem, all that is in Kriyasma. So immediately that brings us to Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, to that leaving our limitations and our narrowness, so to speak, to connect to Hashem in a much greater and more expansive way. So that's one basic explanation why Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim is a basic tenant and a basic part of our day-to-day Avoidah, is the ability to leave our constraints, our limitation, and connect to the rachvos, to the expansiveness, the infinite nature of Hashem through Torah and Mitzvahs. That's what's one, one Pashat Pshat. There's another Pshat, that I saw a very beautiful Pshat, it goes like this. Again, Mitzrayim is Mitzar, the narrowness. What's the narrowest part of a person? Of every person. Where's the brain? Where's the, where's the, uh, no, let's not get personal here. But in the physical body of a person, where's the narrow place is the neck. Exactly. The, it's called the Mitzar Hagaron. It's called the narrowness of the neck. The neck is the connector between the head and the heart. Right? The head is the seat of intellect and the heart is the seat of emotion. Right? So our head is our intellectual capacity, is where we think and we understand and we verbalize and we talk and we listen. The head is where all those primary, uh, uh, very refined parts of who we are. Our, basically our intellect is, is rooted is in our mind and then it affects our emotions. But between there, there's the Mitzrayim, there's that narrowness. What does that narrowness represent? So in our head we might learn and understand that something is good, that something is right, that something is good. But then there is that state where it might get lost before it affects our emotions, the way we feel about things. All too often we understand it, but it doesn't talk to us. We don't feel it. We understand it's the right way for me to act or it's the right way for me to daven or whatever, but it doesn't translate to our emotions, to our feelings, to become fired, fired up and passionate about it. That's that narrowness. It's interesting. Yes? That, this is what that goes back to your share of two weeks ago when you talked about the whole idea of, of, uh, of Amalek. Very well, very well, uh, very well said. Very well, that's connected to Amalek as well. But today we're talking about as far as Misraim, Paro. Take the word Paro. The, the four Hebrew letters of Paro, it's Pei, Resh, Ay, and Hey. If you mix the letters a little bit, you'll have Ha'oref. What's the Oref? Back of the neck. So Paro is the king of Mitzrayim. Right? Mitzrayim is the narrowness of the neck. Paro is the king in the back of the neck. We're called a stiff-necked nation. I'm Kshay Oref. The word Oref is Paro. Because what is Paro trying to do to each and every one of us every day? to make that break, the break between the head and the heart. So that what we understand and what we're inspired by intellectually shouldn't actually express itself in passionate emotion and therefore lead what we actually do. So what's Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim when we break out of Paro? Is when we allow, when we have the, uh, when it becomes a clear way from the mind to the heart. When what we learn does affect us properly, when we see to it that it doesn't just remain somewhere in the, uh, in the realm of uh, understanding or something that's even um, in the abstract, but something that affects the way we feel and ultimately the way we, that we act about it. And that's the Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim that we're faced with every day of our life to make sure that what we learn in our mind travels through the narrowness of the neck, doesn't get stuck by paro on the back of the neck, but rather translates into actual 
feeling and ultimately Maisa Bapoil, as it says in the Mishnah Pirki Aves, Hamaisa Hua Iker. The ultimate point is that what we understand should be translated into action, into actuality and serving Hashem. So that's the so the word paro is the same letters as ha'orif, orif, which is the back of the neck. So if we're saying the mitzrayim is the neck, the narrowness, paro is the hard back of the neck, we're called a stiff neck nation. He's the one who's there at the neck trying to halt that what we understand shouldn't affect us in the way that we do. And therefore you see us mitzrayim is breaking through that and making sure that what we learn does affect us and does change us in our actual avodah. So that's another idea. Exactly, exactly. And well, actually, the way it's more Kabbalistic is that the Chachma Bina and Das. That's for you. <laughs> so, I'm going to say that typically more Chachma Bina and Das are more here. Down here is the Chesed and the Givura to actually carry it out. Chachma Bina and Das are all really part of understanding, understanding it deeper and well, different, but they're all really um, intellectual. And the idea is. If things just stay in the realm of intellectual, it doesn't go anywhere. It has to come into our midos. It has to come into the way we feel about it and then start acting upon it because we act based on what we feel, not based on what we understand. If we're healthy, our, uh, healthy spiritually speaking, then our understanding affects our emotions, which translates into our actions. And that's when there's Yitzhiyas Mishraim, we've broken through that narrowness and allowed the flow to be uh, the way it should be, a powerful flow from the beginning till the end. So that's another idea about Yitzhiyas Mishraim. Okay, one more point. And this point is something that part of it I've spoken about here before, but to me it's a fascinating idea and I want to share it before Pesach. When it comes to Pesach, we have the primary mitzvah of, of the matzah and the primary isser, the prohibition of chametz. And on Pesach, we are anti chametz. We don't want to have any connection with chametz. And there's some level of, uh, I don't know what the word is, paranoia or something about chametz, the, the, although we have many prohibitions in the Torah, there's something about chametz. Um, it's forbidden to eat it, it's forbidden to derive any benefit from it, it's forbidden to have it in our property, right? And you don't have this about any other misfit that we have. You know, there's foods that are treif, and there's different types of treif, but when it comes to chametz, there's the isr of bal yirah, bal yimatzah, you can't see it, you can't own it in any form. Total removal. To the extent that there's a mitzvah in the Torah that you got to destroy the chametz before Pesach. It's a pasuk in the Torah, right? Bayom Arishon, Tashbisu Saor Mibatechem. We have to actually go out, and as we know, on the day before Pesach, we destroy our chametz. Now, how deeply, how, how, what are we, how destroyed does it have to be in order to fulfill the mitzvah? What do you got to do to the chametz in order to fully have it destroyed? And there is a famous machlokis in Mishnayis, and that is. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Ein Biur Chametz Ella Bisrefa. The only way to get rid of Chametz is burning it. You got to make a fire and burn it. That's the only way. Chachamim Omrim, Chachamim say, you, gotta, you don't got to be so extreme. Af Mefarir Vizora Leruach. You don't have to burn it. You can, it's enough if you crumble up your bread and you throw it to the ear. That's Machlokas. Do you have to actually burn the Chametz or could you just? You know, crumble it up into a million pieces and throw it to the year. That's the machlokas. What's the halacha? So many people will say, you got to burn it. That's because we all do that. But it would be a mistake. The halacha is with the chachamim. Technically, halachically, I can crumble it up and throw it to the year. The minhag is to burn it for many reasons. And maybe because it's much more exciting for the kids. But be, be that as it may, that's the machlokas. Now, the question is, what is at the root of that machlokas? 
Like Rabbi Yehuda says, you got to burn it, and the Chachamim say it's enough mefarir brizora leruach. So really, at the root of this machlokus is how destroyed does it really have to be? What's the difference between when you burn something or when you crumble it up and throw it to the air? When you crumble it up and throw it to the air, you didn't you didn't essentially destroy it. You ruined its form. But it's a much more external destruction because all those crumbs are still there. Hypothetically, you can gather the crumbs from the ear and reconstruct your piece of bread. When you burn something, it turned into ashes. Right? You eradicated it. So essentially what Rabbi Yehuda and the Chachamim are arguing is, how destroyed does the chamas have to be? How, you know, there's a mitzvah to destroy it, but how much? How deeply do you have to destroy it? So I mentioned in the past, that there was uh, one of the great Torah geniuses of the previous generation was named the Gaon of the he's known by his name the Ragged Shover Gaon Rabbi Yosef Rosen he's the Rav in the city of Dvinsk tremendous Torah genius one of the things that he would do is find patterns in Torah and see like a machlokas in one area in Shas and connected with a machlokas that seemingly has nothing to do with it whatsoever and he'd be able to show how essentially they're, they're talking about the same thing and he was a genius at this so he points to a very interesting other machlokas, seemingly about a totally unrelated topic. And that is, it says in the Pasuk in Bichu Kosei, that when Mashiach will come, v'hishbati chaya ra'am min ha'aretz. Hashem says, I will destroy all bad animals. No more. So there's an interesting machlokas in the Medrash. What exactly is going to happen with the bad animals? Rabbi Yehuda Omer, mashbisam min ha'olam. They won't be anymore. No more lions. When Mashiach you know, comes... the famous thing, though, the, the, the asp and it turns into a friend and the little girl... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that, that's, that's definitely dealt with in that medrash. But Rabbi Huda says, no more. No more lions, tigers, bears. I don't know what they'll do with the zoos. Mashbisan mena'ola. Rabbi Shimon Omer, Mashbisan shalo yaziku. Hashem won't destroy the wild animals. He'll make that they won't be wild anymore. They won't be harmful. Yeah, like so, a little girl right, the, exactly. The you want you have a pet lion, a yeah. pet tiger. You know, go play with the beers. Yeah. Right? Says the Ragashavar, go and think about it. It's the same people, Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Shimon, right? And he says, what are they really arguing about? The Hebrew meaning of a word. The word by chametz is tashbisu to destroy the chametz. The word there is vihishbati. It's the same Hebrew word. Says the Ragashavar, the word means destruction. The question is, how, how deep does destruction have to be? So Rabbi Yehuda, who said, the chametz, you got to get rid of it. It's got to be burnt. Says Hashem will get rid of the wild animals. It's not enough to change the form. You got to get rid of its essence. Because Rabbi Yehuda follows his pattern of thinking. When the Torah says, I'm going to destroy, it's complete. It's total. It's removed. It can't exist. It's got to be burnt, got to be removed. Rabbi Shimon follows the Chachamim. And they say, destruction, as long as you change the form, it's good enough. If you crumble up your bread and throw it to the ear, that's good enough. If Hashem changes the form of the wild animals, that they're not wild anymore, that's adequate. That's what Rabbi Shimon says. And that was the Vart of the Ragashavagor. Essentially, what are they arguing about? When Hashem says to destroy something, that means it's bad. How deep is the bad in it? You know, how essentially bad is it? Based on how essentially bad it is, that's how much it has to be destroyed. Right? If the essence of it is bad, the essence has to be destroyed. If only more external part of it is bad, then only that external form has to be destroyed. The essence doesn't have to be destroyed. Right? 
Now let's find a fascinating machlokas in the Haggadah and how that connects as well. And although the first part I mentioned was the best. You could? Yeah, that works. That works. But let's look at the Haggadah. One of the passages of the Haggadah that's got to be strange to a lot of people, and it's already at a point in the Haggadah when a lot of people are already putting down the, putting the gas to the pedal, you know, because we've got to get to the matzah already. But there's this whole debate how many makas was every maka made up of? Oh. Ever, ever noticed it? First it says, well, there was 10 makas in Mitzrayim. And we all learned that in Cheder, we know that. Then it says, no, really every maka was made up of four. So there's 40. And then times five, so it's 200. Then there's another sheet that said, no, each maka is made out of five. So it's 50. And then times five by the arms, so it's 250. Right? This, at some, yeah, point, at some yeah, point this Seder yeah, night, everyone's reading right. numbers. Everyone's pulling out their calculators and their minds. What's going on over here? Right? So in, in the Haggadah, there's a number of shitas. And the basic question is, what is... So you have Rabbi Eliezer says, Kol mako mako shall arba makos. Every mako is made up of four. Rabbi Akiva Omer, Kol mako mako shall chomesh makos. Every mako is five. What are they arguing about? And why is it important? <laughs> Does it matter if there was 10 or 40 or 50 or 100? What's the argument about? I'll say parenthetically, a vart of the Vilna Goyen, the Gro, he said that the reason why we want to say that there's so many makas in Mitzrayim is because there's a passage that says, Kol oh. Hashem says, whatever makas there were in Mitzrayim, I'm not going to give you. So the Chachamim wanted to make it more and more sicknesses because oh. each one that is there is one off our chart. That's, that's, that's the word from Vilna Vil- Goin. Vil- that's the word from Vilna Goin. But the Shail is, what's the story? Is every makas made up of four? Is every makas made up of five? What are they really arguing about? So there is a sefer called the Kolbo. The Kolbo is from the Rishonim. It's a sefer that's got to be 900 years old. It's not clear who the author of the Kolbo is. It's one of the famous questions. But it's a sefer from the Rishonim. And he says something very fascinating. He says, everything in this world is made up of four elements. And this Rambam writes about this and these other sources. Everything, there's Esh, Ruach, Mayim, and Alpharite, fire, energy, water, air, dirt. He says, everything in the world is made up of four elements. So when Rabbi Eliezer said every makkah was made up of four makkahs, what he was saying is that every makkah, it, it smote every uh, um, article, every element of, of every part of being. That's what Rabbi Eliezer meant. That's what the Kolbo says. That when he said four, it didn't just get the basic, the way you see it, it really uh, permeated. Every makkah permeated all four elements of everything. Says the Kalbo, comes Rabbi Akiva, and he says, no, 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 each Makkah is made up of five, not just four. What's number five? He says, everything is made up of four elements, and then there is the quintessence of everything, which is the fifth, which brings all four together. Right? Anyone here knows the word quintessence, quintessential? What is the word? Quint? Quint is five, Latin for five. Quintessential, the real meaning, the real, the, I'm sorry? Quintet is a five. Right, quint is five. The real source of the word quintessence, and here's a, I'm not an etymology teacher of words, but the real source of the word quintessence is because everything has four elements, and quint is the very essence that brings all four together. The very essence. Says the Kobo, when Rabbi Akiva says in Arhagoda, every maka is made up of five, not just of four, he was saying that the maka didn't just permeate the four elements of everything in Mitzrayim, it actually permeated the very quintessence. Number five was also smitten by the Makkah. Is there another word for this, whatever this quintessence? Well, in Hebrew, there's koach hamarkiv, 
Or Mark, the car, the, uh, brings it all together. Markiv? Yeah, Harkova is bringing something together. So there's a Dalit Yisodos and there's a Koach Markiv. Yeah. Or in Ramban language, it's the Koach Hiyuli. The Ramban talks about the Hiyuli, which is the very essence of creation. creation. Says, so what do we see? That what were Rabbi Kiva and Rabbi Eliezer really arguing about in the Agoda? How deeply did Hashem destroy Mitzrayim? Did he just destroy the four elements of everything or the very essence of everything? Let's think. This argument is totally connected with the earlier argument about our destruction of chametz. Oh. How deeply do we have to destroy the chametz, oh. right? Or how deeply will Hashem destroy the wild animals when Mashiach will come? It all becomes one interesting question, which is whenever there's destruction, destruction, when Hashem destroys something, or when Hashem tells us that we should destroy something, right? Hashem destroys the Mitzrayim. Hashem tells us to destroy the chametz. What is, what is he telling us? That there's badness here, there's impurity, there's unholiness that has to be destroyed. But how deep is the impurity? How deep is the unholiness? Really how deep is really bad, so you think you go to the essence? Right, so how deep, so. how deep does the destruction have to be? And here we see that there's two lines of thinking. There's the line of Rabbi Yehuda, and we saw it in Chametz, we saw it in the wild animals. Rabbi Yehuda says, you got it, destroy it totally. It's got to be gone. you got to burn it. The wild animals have to be removed from the world. And there's Rabbi Akiva in the Haggadah who says, Hashem destroyed Mitzrayim to the very essence. Not just four, number five, the quintessence. Amazingly, Rabbi Akiva in the Gemara agrees with Rabbi Yehuda that Chomis has to be burnt. Mm. Following the line of thinking, so why is that amazing? That because Rabbi Akiva, it fits beautifully. Yeah. The Rabbi Akiva, when he talks, talks now God about the Makkas, that he says five that Hashem destroy the essence of Mitzrayim. He says, and I'm on Rabbi Akiva's team that you got to destroy the essence of the Chumas. But Rabbi Eliezer in the Haggadah says, no, you, go, you don't get it. Hashem didn't destroy the essence of Mitzrayim. He just destroyed the elements. In other words, that's something more external. He'll follow the Ashita of the Chachamim who say, you don't have to burn the chametz, you can crumble and throw it to the air. Essentially, what, what's, at the, what's, at the, what's at the essence of this question? Whenever we see evil or badness, unholiness, impurity, how deep is it? Is it, when something is unholy, when something is bad, when something is evil, do we look at it and say that the essence of it is bad and has to be destroyed? Or is it that its external form is bad? But if you get rid of the external form, the essence can be turned to Kedusha. And that is essentially this question. So this halachic question is really a great Torah philosophy question, a philosophical question, which is when you have bad, and there's bad things in this world, there's things that have to be pushed away, there's things that have to be destroyed even. But how do we look at that? <clears throat> is bad something that we're saying that Hashem created certain things that are so essentially bad that they just have to be destroyed and finished? Or do we say, that whenever there's something bad, it's more of an external aspect of badness. But if you're able to get rid of that externality, you can always find the, the goodness and the holiness that's dormant somewhere within. And that is the halacha. The halacha is not that you have to burn the chametz. Again, we do, because that's the minimum. Yeah, but you got a molek and you got Hitler, and you got right. all these bad shlokes, tomatoes. But, we, but ultimately, ultimately, according, especially Kabbalistically, and according to Kabbalah and Hasidus, Everything comes from Hashem. Everything has a divine spark in it. And there's a lot of badness and negativity that might be covered over. And it might be so much that we'll never find it. But we believe everything ultimately, essentially, has a source in Kedusha. 
and 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 um, and and that's why unholiness in, in Kabbalah is always called klipa. What does klipa mean? It's a shell. It's a cover-up. It's something covering over. And even Amalek, when you mention Amalek, which is the worst of the worst and has to be destroyed, nevertheless, the Gemara tells us, and I just had that discussion with you and some others two weeks ago, that Mibnei Bonav Shal Haman Lamdu Torah Bivnei Brak, which means that Haman, which is Amalek, yet somewhere in him, there were sparks of Kedusha that had to come out and ultimately were big Tamidi Chachamim that came from him. And that's because ultimately, Everything in this world is from the Rabbeinu Shalom. There is no other source. And even things that are so bad that they have to be totally crushed, ultimately we have to crush its external facade, the negative form so of it. Like and that's why the Allah is like the Chachamim, that you could crumble up the, the thing. And that's why the Allah with the wild animals is that they will be, but they won't be bad anymore. Right. Not totally so destroyed. Yeah, we see the picture of the little girl with, the, with her hand over the... Over the, oh, they, with the, 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 the right. I can't remember which not the Garza The Garza Avon chemist, but no merim gidi yirbatz. It's a Yishayo, Yishayo. And therefore, this is the message of this concept. That even though there are two sheets in the summer. and there are two sheetas in Torah. We're talking about tremendous and but and and we, as we're seeing, it comes up in the destruction of chametz. It comes up in the destruction of the wild animals. It comes up in how many makas that Hashem destroyed Mitzrayim with. Was it four? Was it five? But essentially, it's one philosophical question, and that is when we do see bad in this world and bad that has to be destroyed. Nevertheless, we have to remember that what is bad and what has to be destroyed is always going to be the externality of something in order to be able to find the premius, the depth of it and the essence of it which ultimately has that spark of Kedusha from Hashem which created it and maintains it and will ultimately be transformed and brought back into the realm of Kedusha as well.